Hello, 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 activators. An activator, by definition, is a substance used to induce or accelerate a reaction. You, my listeners, are the activators that are needed to shake things up in education in the realm of building and maintaining highly effective and successful teams in our schools. Welcome to the Squad Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gerard Phillips, Sr. We're going to get into today's episode in just a little bit, but just wanted to drop a little tidbit of background on today's episode. I am with the CEO of the EDIS organization company by the name of Brian DiSabatino. And just a little, just for educators out there, educational leaders out there, just a little background on how no matter what situation we're in, we need to be able to pivot improvise and do what's best for our kids and our teachers so this podcast episode we actually did in person i'm a personable person he's a personable person we connect and say hey we're just gonna do this in person rather than hopping on a zoom or whatever the case may be however technology does what technology does and none of my mediums could connect or work so my backup plan was my mobile device That was my fourth option. Hey, educational leaders, what we gonna do when our first option don't work? What we gonna do when our second option don't work? What we gonna do when our third option won't work? We gonna throw in the towel? Nah, we can't do that. We building, we grinding, we can't do that. So let's get into today's episode. Greetings, greetings, activators. I'm your host, Dr. Gerard Phillips, and I am here with a special guest. And I'll let him introduce himself and we'll jump right in. Thank you. Hi, this is Brian DiSabatino. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's official. This is my my first interview by an activator. Is that like an avatar? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> activators. We, we We're shake, superheroes. Superheroes. <laughs> we, we shaking things up in education. Yeah, so I'm Brian DiSabatino. I have the, the great fortune of, of being CEO of a terrific uh, company, EDIS company here in, in, uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. We're a construction company. And uh, I love your podcast because it serves a, a market that we serve, the, the education community. I've been doing this for, this is my 35th year. It's my anniversary year, 35 years. I know I don't look that old. 35? Yeah, yeah. Started when I was when I was zero. So, yeah. I wish, we, I wish we was on video because he really does not look 30, like he's been doing this for 35 years. For real. You're a good man. It's good. Wrinkle cream and, and Grecian formula. That's Whatever all I say. Whatever you're doing, I need to do that when I'm 35 years into education. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I've been I've been in this business for about thirty five years, and I've been been CEO for for seven or eight. Awesome! You have a wide range of experiences, and 
I want to delve a little bit into your work around schools. Tell us a little bit about what EDIS does for schools since he does, him and his company serves us in a mighty way. Sure. I, you know, I, I think to, to answer that question, I'll go back a little bit in our history to explain to you why we've evolved into the, the style of company that we are that's serving schools. So our, our company is over 115 years old, and, and it was founded by my great-grandfather who came over here as a matter of survival um, from a little village in, in Italy. And he was a stonemason, and his sons were stonemasons. And we came to Wilmington, and we installed stonework. And our very first client was what I guess would be the modern version of Delmarva Power and Light. And, and we built manholes with bricks, um, and we were paid by the piece. Every, every time we laid a brick, we got paid something. And over time, we, we built the, the trust of our customers, and, and next thing you know, we're, we're building houses, and the next thing you know, we're building factories, and the next thing you know, we're building hospitals. And so over the evolution in that 115 years, we, we earned the trust of this community um, and sometime around the 1970s, the marketplace was like it is now, uh, where there was a very high rate of inflation. And, and the marketplace was asking, you know, is there a better, faster, more thoughtful way to build buildings to try to get a hedge on inflation? And the industry of what's called construction management was born, where contractors were brought on board during the design phase to offer advice on how to make buildings really rock solid, but less expensively, and, and how to move along the process faster. And so for the school districts, what we have built an expertise in is lending our century of expertise to help the design process to build great buildings and move it along at a faster pace. I'm taking notes, y'all, because um. I'm gleaning some things here. And for the listener, his writing is just as bad as mine. <laughs> I can't read anything. My kids laugh about it. It's my Should have been a doctor. Yo, you are a doctor. I am a doctor, yes. <laughs> Different medicine. <laughs> yeah, like my handwriting, y'all, is, is like that. But I try to get my notes down. And so going back to what Brian said about 1970s like it is now with that high rate of inflation and they're being, still being successful now as they did in the 70s. Pivoting to education, we see that we're in a phase where a lot of people are not going into the profession. It's not being um, promoted or glamorized like it was when I was a kid. Sure. And I think there are some things we can do to get back to that because as I look at the work that EDIS does, and it's like they do some glamorous work. I know they built some schools in my district, and any student that wants to go into that field, they could actually look around and see the work that's done and say, wow, I can be a part of this in the future. What are some things that we could do as educators to make our profession more exciting yeah. like getting out there? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, whether it's education or nursing or construction, but we all have the, the same problem, right? We're all trying to attract people into our industry. And for years and years, it's been a, a sort of a zero-sum game where we've thought that the, the population 
potential to come into the industry for us or for education for you is the same as it, it was for decades. But you know, you and I had a conversation before the show and what we've discovered, at least in our field, is that um, there's, a, there's a lack of uh, diversity in construction. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't see, as an example, uh, young black men and women coming into the industry. We see, we see a fair amount of Latinos and of course we, you know, tons of Europeans because that's the heritage that I come from. But when you begin to examine the potentiality of bringing a brand new population into our field, it has to beg the question, well, this is not new, exactly. right? I mean, that exactly. population has always existed. What's exactly. the difference? You know, what, what, why aren't young black men and women coming into the field? So I, you know, I pose that, that question to our leadership mm. team. And we had a lot of self-examination, especially on the heels of, of the Floyd disaster, right? And, and you know, what, what we, we reflect upon is the idea that, look, let's, let's be, this should be honest. Yep. I wouldn't be in this business if it wasn't for nepotism, right? I, I'm not good looking, I'm not talented, I'm not anything. But I, you know, my family's been doing this for over 100 years. And so somebody grabbed me by the short collar you know, the earlobe and kicked me in the rear end and said, you know, I, I know you've got plans for this, that, or the other thing, but you know what you're going to do? You're going into construction. You're going into construction. And my father before him and his father before him and his father before him. You know, this is what we do, right? And so, it, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know this to be fact, but my, I'm guessing I'm close to the fact that that same tradition doesn't exist within the black community. Right, you're right. No, that, you're right. That if your dad, if your uncle, if your neighbor isn't grabbing you by the earlobe, the shirt collar, and right. kicking you in the tail, then perhaps the trajectory of that journey never begins. And so when it never begins, it can't even fail. It can't even branch off. It's just a non-starter. So, so you know, I, I, there's a there's a an educator now administrator over at uh, at St. George's uh, by the name of Frank Hansen, and. You know, I went on a on a listening tour after Floyd and just started asking that very question: Where, where are all the young black men and women? Because they're they're you know they're they're entering VoTech as mm -hmm. an example. They're they're entering the pathway programs, but they're not emerging in in what we affectionately call the thirteenth grade. They're not coming into the industry. And Frank said to me, he said he said, look, Brian, I know you've got great intentions, mm -hmm. but look, you showing up to a trade show doesn't do doesn't do young black men any good. If young black men can't see themselves in the, your industry, they can't see themselves in the industry. And he said, I can, I, I can say that because I'm, I was born in Ghana and I became the instructor. You know, Newcastle County Votech had the foresight to place me, because I'm a carpenter, into the carpentry program and a, a program that had no or very few young black men in it. That's true. Now it's thriving. And now we're hiring them here at EDIS, right? And That's so that, 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 that 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 trajectory needs something different and so i don't know if it's the same in education you know i don't know you know if if the flat the fact that you know you're not seeing i, I don't know what I, I don't know what the demographic is of 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 teachers but if you're not seeing young black men and women enter education i'm, I'm kind of curious if if you struggle from the same thing no we 
<clears throat> we do. I'm, I'm glad this. we're going to take a different turn with this show. I'm glad we got here because that is the case. And I know me, as a black principal, I serve in a school where <clears throat> it's not predominantly black students. Yeah. But I want all the students to see that I can transcend to the level of being an educator and doing it at a high level. So that way my white students, my black students, my Indian students, all of them see the possibilities. And then as my black students come through the school and they start thinking of career choices, <clears throat> and if there's somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, if there's somebody that's saying, nah, you ain't gonna make any money in education, you ain't gonna do this and that, my black students can look back at me and say, well, Dr. Phillips was doing it and he looked successful. Dr. Phillips was in our classrooms every day, cheering us on. He made a difference in my life and he made me feel good. I want that for somebody else rather yeah. than getting to high school and you start looking at careers and us as educators telling kids or our own kids, nah, don't go into education. You won't make no money. Go do this, go do that. Where in education, you can be successful monetarily. In other ways, it's just the way you go about doing it. And I think what Brian brought up is a good point here. Our black students, our students of color, have to see these different, um, these different representation of careers in our schools. And like what you said about the trajectory with um, construction, I know coming from the black community, when we thought about construction, it was kind of put off like, okay, you'll be doing roofing, yeah. you'll be driving a dump truck, but it never was thinking, hey, I could start this at 16, 17, and by the time I'm a grandfather, I've built something that I can keep passing on for generations. Like that generational gap, or just thinking, oh, I'm gonna go drive a dump truck for 30 years and retire, but not thinking that you could own the fleet as well as the company. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great point. There's a, there's a group of guys that, I, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, brought me in to a lot of conversations uh, with the Metropolitan Wilmington Urban League. And when I listened to Mark Moriel and, you know, read the annual report year after year, it was, it, one of the top issues was the lack of generational wealth transfer within black families. Mm -hmm. And again, you look at the, at the European tradition within our industry, and look, whether it's the, the Italians like me or the Irish, like a lot of people in, in our company or the Germans or the Pol you, you name the European country, we've, we've enjoyed the, the joy of construction. We love to build. We love to build things. We like to walk around this town and bring our kids, our family and say, hey, look, you know, I, I laid those bricks or I put those windows in or when the heat broke down in that building, I fixed it. I remember having to clean that mess up at two o'clock in the morning. You know, the, the physical manifestation of your joy remains in place and that's why we love to build things so but but you can't ignore the fact that it provides a good living for us you know we're able to pass that wealth along and whether our kids are going to trade school or and, and buying a pickup truck and tools or going to college and paying for their tuition room and board whatever it is right we're able to to do that and so you know, it's interesting as you as as we talk about. I'm listening to you, as we we talked about the the Floyd thing. I, I remember that a young lady walked in my office and she said, "What are we going to do about it, Mr. Sabatino?" 
you know, this is a, a young young lady. She, she probably had to be scared to death to walk into my office. And I said, what do you mean, what are we going to do about it? We're doing a lot of things around here. Don't you know what a great company we have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then she looked at me like, oh, man, man, you don't get it. And uh, she was right. She was right. And it, and it really caused us to pause and, and reflect and look at that. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, look, we can... We can we can apply the Frank Hansen model. Like we, we yep. should have more we should have more black Latino uh, teachers in the in the marketplace. But you know it could go deeper than that. You yeah. know it could it could go so into your cool. curriculum as well. Like how do you get fired up exactly. about being a young black man or woman about about education when I don't know this could be changed from when I was a kid because it was a long time ago. But my guess is that there's a there's an emphasis in history. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in teaching European, the European Renaissance, right? It is right. So, tell me, tell me where in the curriculum we're, we're celebrating the African Renaissance, right? Show me, and, and hopefully it's there. Absolutely. Hopefully it's there. But, but this sort of exclusively, and, I, and I, it's not fair because I don't know. Mm-hmm. But per, if there is this sort of European centrism, but well, maybe that doesn't get me fired up. Like if. If, if, look up Italian, if every day I had to go and learn a, a different nationality's heritage, I mean, look at it, foreign languages, like, yep. everybody gets really excited because my kid's going to learn Chinese, because Chinese is going to be the marketplace, and like, you're absolutely like, right. like I, I want to learn Italian, like, it's the romance language, the it's, romance my, it's, language my, it's my people, right, right, but what if you're a young African-American young man or a woman, you know, how much are we celebrating? foreign language related to them you know let's look at the music let's look at music like look I look I'm a band geek like so I like John Philip Sousa and I you know I I like classical music but like the classics yeah Yeah. but but if if you're coming from a different heritage this wasn't talked about by your grandmother or your grandfather and you'd like to bring you like to bring them to your Christmas concert to show off them and your heritage and so you know I think if we look really, really far downstream, if we're going to affect the trajectory of education by creating more educators, I, I don't think we can ignore the role of curriculum in exciting the young people to get into this field. And I know with uh, House Bill 198, I know, that, um, and I, I like what I don't I know like, what that is. Yeah, it's um, where you know Black history yeah. has to be taught. Um, not just the way it was taught to us where it was kind of glossed over yeah. or just hit on slavery where starting black kids at a deficit in the yeah, classroom, right. but the totality of the great things that were done, because there were some, you know, even when schools were segregated, there were some great black educators that did some great things for their oh, community. Yeah. Like, you know, Martin Luther King, he he taught. He did he did a lot of different things, like as being a as being a minister, yeah. that's teaching. So at the more our students see themselves in the curriculum, like you said, they will get fired up. Yeah. But I, the thing is, us as educators that you know may not be from the black community, we just can't we can't shy away from teaching it because we know you weren't alive during slavery. Yeah. But I know some people may take offense. Like nobody wants to be in a situation where they're like, "Oh, I'm looked at as a racist." Yeah. It's like, no, that's not it. We're all learning and growing together, and believe it or not. If the students see you being vulnerable as a white teacher and being vulnerable teaching about black history, as well as learning alongside them, then that plants a seed 
well, maybe I could be my, like my teacher. She don't know it all, but she's learning alongside us being vulnerable. And that's a lifelong skill. Yeah. That is a lifelong skill. Because I know, I know I don't know it all. Even as a black man, I'm learning some different things about black history. Some, like my, I have a nice um, size population in my school, which yeah. is Indian. And the students teach me about Diwali and some yeah. of their heritage. And I'm like intrigued. Yeah. And I just, I just listen to them. Like some of my substitutes are of Indian heritage. And they have to educate me on some things. Um, like one of my teachers, Jewish, she had to educate me on some things because some, I know I was in a meeting one time and it was something I said and I didn't know that was offensive to her culture. Yeah. And behind closed doors, she had a conversation about it. And I, I was like, I'm glad you felt comfortable educating me on that because I didn't know that that statement was something derogatory towards the the Jewish culture. Yeah, you know, there's 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 a couple a couple of perspectives, and certainly you you should be sensitized because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, mm -hmm. right? That that's one, but that's only one piece of it. Only one piece. Like of it. like like none of us is really that good by ourselves, and so we frankly we need each other. There so you the go. the no, the more I know about you and what motivates you, there you go. together we're going to just be better, exactly. right? And, and so I got to figure out how to fire you up. So that you're a better teammate for me. And I can't fire you up. Look, I'm Italian, but I'm not going to fire you up by teaching you about Italy every day. Exactly. Right? right? Exactly. I'm going to fire you up by finding what connects with you. And frankly, I'm going to need you to work in the other direction. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need you to know how to make pasta. Right? Right? Because we're going exactly. to need to be on the same team. And this, this sort of, sort of, uh, sort of, Sort of uh, this monolithic view. Keyword monolithic. You yeah, know, it, it's some people find you know when we sort of flip the other side of that monolithic view is is oh you know let's, let's stop being so sensitive and no no we can actually be better. better. Let's look at let's look at it as an additive game instead of I've, I've got to take away from you to give to me, right? Yes. Let's 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 I bet when we add one and one. It could actually equal three or four here. There you go. Instead of you know, I've got to take away from you. You got to take away from me. So let's let's figure out how to work better together. You know, I um, there's a there's there's a, a, a couple of people that I've learned from. One is a is a is a wonderful woman by the name of uh, Jessica Bass. Jessica's husband is Aaron Bass, and Aaron runs the Eastside Charter School, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, you know, really, you know, enlightened me uh, about curriculum and sort of the the eurocentrism of it and and i have to i have to be honest like it never even occurred to me like of course we're going to learn the renaissance that's what history that's is what history right? is and and nobody ever finished the sentence with for me right nobody mm. nobody ever finished that sentence for me i didn't realize i didn't realize what i was missing right and frankly i didn't realize what maybe everybody else was missing, missing. That's not fair. That's, that's and so true. it's not because I'm a jerk, right? Maybe I am. You know, it's, it's not because I'm a jerk. It's because nobody helped me finish the rest of the sentence. And even at 57, you know, sometimes people have to help me finish the rest of the sentence. You know, Saran Cade, who, who ran the Department of Labor um, and now is in administrative services, you know, Saran, um, I brought in to, to talk to a group of uh, young men and women uh, about developing their skills, uh, you know, as young black men and women in the construction trades. 
And he taught me something that I didn't know, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, that you know, the African-American community owned our industry until Reconstruction. So, you know, no, nobody called a carpenter or a plumber or a roofer or an go. excavator. There you go. And look, certainly it was under the, under the regime of slavery, but, but there was a, 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 an amazing level of talent that had developed over 100 years. 100. They were the experts. They were the experts at the building. Hold on, activators, y'all. Take take note of this history right here. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. And so, and so, when you look at that, the marketplace pivoted after Reconstruction, and then you know there was massive amounts of immigration. The Irish then became and dominated, then the Italians and the other Europeans. You know, all of a sudden, the tradition was lost. And so, you know, I I, I believe that. It, this is this is not a zero sum game where we've got to take away from one population to give to the other. Uh, I, frankly, I think we can all recognize that you you know you mentioned there's a deficit in, in educators. There's a, definitely a deficit in the trades. Mm -hmm. I think if we bring young black men and women to understand the joy of construction and reconnect them with their you know American heritage and the pride that they they enjoyed you know, for, you know, over a hundred years before it was interrupted. I think we'd have something really cool here. Speaking of, before we get into the last question, I want to piggyback about the deficits in the trade. Yeah. I got this weird idea that I, I've talked to people about it before, um, and it comes from my work in schools. Um, not the school I'm in now, but two prior schools where yeah. I would have kids, black, white, Indian, Mexican, Hispanic, they would have conversation with me and they would say, you know, they would do just the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. That's across all races. And I would say, don't you want better? Like, don't you want to, you know, be more successful in, in school or whatever? And they would, they would, frank, they would come out and say, I don't think I'm school material. So my mom or grandmom or auntie, whoever they were living with, they already said that when I get 16, they're going to allow me to, you know, sign out of school. So now I said, okay, let's change this narrative. I said, okay, what what are some things that you currently like or currently like to do? Um, and I'll never forget one school, the, um, the one student, he was like, well, my uncle's a roofer, so, you know, I do some stuff with him because I got to keep some money in my pocket. Um, I don't really, like, you know, my mom or dad or grandma don't really make a lot. So in my mind, I'm like, Okay, if we have a student saying that at 16 he's going to drop out, could we come up with an individual plan for him? And what I mean by that is, okay, you're 14 now. You're saying you're going to drop out, and there's nothing stopping you. But let's get you a trade that you might fall in love with, and one day, by the time you're 30, you might own your own company. So we may come up with a plan. Look, we already know if we keep you in here all day long, you're going to skip some classes and be getting in trouble. So how about we have you... You need, you need ELA, mm -hmm. and you need math. Mm -hmm. So how about this? We're going to bring you into school. You're going to take those two subjects, and then for the remainder of your day, you're going to go work with X, Y, and Z contractor yeah. so you can learn this trade. However, when you're late to school, or if you don't come to school, or if you get in trouble in school, we're contacting X, Y, and Z contractor, and you can't go to work that day. You won't be able to make a check. 
that one thing to be able to keep that kid in school to learn those skills that he's going to need, mm-hmm. then, and you're still supplying the other need, and he can pick up his trade that way, just something outside of a trade school, just something different to lower the deficit and stop having our young people that feel as though they're not school material, or they say, after high school, I just want to work. Giving them some productive work and thinking for the long game of how they can turn, you know, hands-on work to entrepreneurship. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea. I don't know on a technical basis how how you accomplish, you know, the, the kid that's probably checked out and yeah. free. I, I just don't I just don't know about that. But what I do know is that you can look them square in the eye and say, look, if you if you finish the twelfth grade and you have decent grades and you you can demonstrate a work ethic and you develop a little bit, not perfect, you know, you're going to spend your lifetime getting perfect, perfect. Yep. right? Uh, some proficiency at a trade, you're going to have a job that's going to put a roof over your head and and begin yep. to uh, put you in a place where you can control your own destiny. You know, because you, I, I just yep. have always believed that if you're not, if you're not, you know, working, studying, busting your tail to live out your own dreams, you're going to live out the dreams of somebody else, yep. right? And so it, it's you have you. There's no there's no third choice. You're, you're either going to live out your own plan or somebody else's plan. There's there's no third choice there. And so uh, the trades give you an opportunity to live out your own. And mm-hmm. some people would suggest, oh yeah, but I'm going to go to work for somebody else. Well, you get good enough, you can work for whoever you want. You get really good, you can create your own success story. There you go. Right? And that is the objective here. You know, there's, there, we, we talked about that there's not enough young black men um, or Latino men and women for that matter in the, in the trades, right? But what's wor- more worrisome is that, that that discussion I told you that I had post Floyd with that young lady, mm-hmm. it really made me re- reflect that when I came to work 35 years ago, I really wanted to make a difference in this space, and I realized I hadn't. Right in 35 years, there aren't any more black-owned construction companies than when I came to work 35 years ago, and it wow. begs the question: Well, why? Right? You know, there's some people that they say, "Well, the system's rigged against them." Well, then I would say, "Well, who are them? Like, that's who, me. Who's who, them? Who's who, them? Who, who is that?" Right? Like, and there is no answer to that because the the, the number of contractors just isn't any bigger than it was then. And the, the, the only theory that I can come up with is that there aren't any black contractors because there weren't any talented black employees that spent a long time in a company that decided to branch out on their own, Bang. right? And what, so why aren't there any of them? Well, because there aren't any young apprentices that decided to become long-term employees and develop a skill that then get, get disgruntled and branch out on their own. Well, why aren't they? Brian is preaching, y'all. He is preaching. <laughs> well, why aren't there any of them? Well, because there weren't any that, that, that either left trade school and entered the field or just entered the field naturally. Well, why aren't there any of them? Well, maybe it's because their father, their uncle, their neighbor didn't grab them by the earlobe, shirt, collar, and kick them in the tail because there aren't any of them. So maybe maybe as an industry, we've got to step into that role. And look, I'm not, I'm not um, an advocate of abuse, but we're gonna grab somebody by the, by the shirt collar, 
the earlobe yep. and kick him in the tail yep. and get him into this industry because there's a lot of joy to be had here. It is. There's a lot of wealth transferred to be had here. And if we don't start now, we're going to be 35 more years complaining about the same situation. Whoo, y'all, we, we, we coming to an end, but we might have a part two. Uh, I, might have to, <laughs> I might have to keep having Brian at least once or twice a year. Brian, before we close, because I definitely got to come back. We're we're in his in his nice facility here in Wilmington, Delaware, and y'all know I'm always representing Delaware. I think it's the greatest state. I know I got con- uh, connections in the education space and podcast space throughout, but we we are the greatest state. Brian, leave us with some just something quick that you think that words of wisdom of something that we can do in education to. Um, get young people, especially maybe some freshman or sophomore in college that's still um, undecided on a major, how we can get them fired up about how they can give back to their community by being an educator. I think we got to get, we've got to get administrators, teachers, and students out of the classroom and, and out of the office and Bam. into the job site. I don't think, I don't think it's any more difficult than that. Bam. Um, and look, I, I know about labor contracts, I know about summer breaks, I know about parents' desires, but we are absolutely missing a three-month, well, make two-month opportunity from Memorial Day to Labor Day to really get industry, mm. and not just construction, just industry mm. and education to partner better. Look, everybody's busy, and so I'm not throwing stones here, but everybody's busy. I get it. And by being busy, we try to work efficiently. When we try to work efficiently, we hunker down with the best of intentions in our silos. Yes, we right? do. Right? And we're, we're really, we're re- nobody has malintention here. Nope. We don't want to waste anybody else's time. We're trying to use our own time effectively. Our resources are scarce. Yeah, the list goes on. But as a result of that, we all hunker down in our silos, but I can tell you, none of us is that good by ourselves. None of us. And if we don't figure out how to come out of the silos, we're never going to advance. And if you think you are out of your silo, well, then look at the result. If you're happy with the result, you're right. If you're not, I think we could do better. None of us are good by ourselves. And I want to end with a quote straight from Brian. (laughs) And I wrote it down, and I might have to put this in my office and put this in my house. Nobody helped me finish the rest of the sentence. Until next time, let's motivate, let's educate, and let's squad up. Podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.